Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Boudet and I'm here with Rachel Nadel. How's it going, Rachel? I've been better, Chris. What do you mean? What do you mean? What's wrong? Listeners, you can't see what she just did, but she just put up her hand. There's a big bandage around your hand. What's what's up? You will not believe what I did, Chris. So it was. this is actually last week. This is like a week ago um, at this point. I was on my bed and I was lazily trying to open my window with one hand. I thought I could like lay on my bed and like push my window open. And I was pushing on the window and my hand like smashed through the glass window. And I got this really terrible cut on my hand. Like stitches? So the crazy thing is they weren't able to stitch it because of the way that it was cut. It was not like a clean cut. And so we just had to like, I had to put it like this compression bandage on it to like stop the bleeding. And it was really, really intense. My window was like smashed all over like my floor and my bed. There was blood everywhere. It was crazy. Oh my gosh. It's like a, like a horror movie. That's That's what it felt like. (laughs) Or maybe like the Hulk, you smashed right through that window. Exactly. I was like, I've been going to the gym lately. Like, wow, I'm so strong. <laughs> Rachel Smash. <laughs> exactly. That's my that should be my middle name now. Rachel Smash Madel. <laughs> oh. Well, I'm glad it's okay and it's healing up, right? I mean, is that is it feeling okay? It is. You know what's been really crazy, Chris? Because everyone has been like, oh my gosh, that's so terrible. And it is. It's not been fun or easy and it's been very painful. But I will say, I have had so much gratitude this last week because this is temporary. This is something that like eventually my hand will heal and I'll be able to use it again. I've been doing everything with one hand, like opening my water bottle has been a challenge. Um, You know, all these things you don't even think about. And so what it's really made me think is, we work with so many kids who have challenges like this all the time, every day, and it's permanent, right? And it's hard. Like my life has been hard the last week. I haven't been able to type emails. Like I've just like, my life has kind of been turned upside down because I only have one hand that's like viable to use. And I don't know, it's just brought me a lot of gratitude and a lot of, you know, understanding of what the kids that we work with sometimes, what they go through. And so um, as bad of an experience as it's been, it's also been a really great experience. Yeah, I know what you mean. We take a lot for granted in our lives. And then when something is temporarily taken away, that is a great reminder to appreciate all the stuff that we do take for granted. Exactly. Like I take for granted the fact that I can like open my water bottle with two hands. (laughs) Yeah, really, I'm seeing you kind of cradle that hand right now. And not really use it. It's just kind of there. Mm-mm. Can you move your fingers back? I can. Luckily, now I can move my fingers. But it was it was hard, especially the first few days. It was so painful. It was bleed. It was still bleeding because I couldn't I couldn't stitch it. Um, and so it was just like, man, it was it was rough. Luckily, now it's been healing. I've been kind of resting and taking it easy and eating lots of vegetables. <laughs> Well, while you were getting your hand sliced open and going over to the hospital to have them check it out, uh, I've had kind of an incredible experience this last week. We had Matt Baud and Jill Center come out to our neck of the woods and kind of do coaching with us for uh, partner augmented input or aided language stimulation or modeling, if you just want to call it that. And then the whole coaching aspect, how to help other people become better at modeling. And it was just a great experience. You know, we have had them on the podcast before. I know you met them at ASHA. Uh, I had never met them face to face. So that was, uh, it was was great to just kind of powwow and and brainstorm and and compare notes. And like I said, 
one of the best parts of the entire experience was really focusing in on the coaching, which is uh, how to help other people learn how to do what we do. You know, it's a whole set of skills is to help someone use a communication device. And it's a whole nother set of skills is to help someone help someone else use a communication device, if that makes sense. That's amazing. I love Jill and Matt. They are AAC rock stars in my book. And I'm so jealous that I wasn't able to be there with you learning from them because um, they're fantastic. And they have so many great strategies and ideas about how to coach communication partners, which is just really amazing because like you said, it's one thing to know kind of what to do yourself. It's another can of worms to figure out how to teach that to teachers and other SLPs and parents and all of the people that interface with the children that we're working with. Um, it's really important. It's such a huge piece of that puzzle. Yeah, you know, one of the big things that they had said, yeah, maybe a, a takeaway of mine, which I kind of knew, but it kind of recentered it for me, was the use of common vocabulary. So, you know, they're sort of famous in the world of AAC for the concept of s'mores or the acronym of s'mores. And the, one of the reasons they, they use those uh, terms is that th this way everyone uses the same words so that when you're coaching, you can say, oh, that was an awesome expansion you just did there. Or, oh, you, I really see how you respected and reflected. Or, I, oh, I really see how you're modeling, right? I don't know if I should go through s'mores again because it, we have a whole episode on it, but it's this mnemonic that helps you remember these different skills that you should be using when you're trying to implement a communication device with somebody. But just having that shared language was just um, was like, yeah, it's a good reminder. You know, it's a good like secret code that we can have together as a coach and, and as a person who's learning so that we can just be on the same page. Yeah, exactly. And also what I love about it is that it's very target specific, right? Instead of just saying, oh, that was great you know, really going into detail. I mean, we tell this to, you know, new grads and new clinicians all the time, like give target specific feedback. It's super important when you're teaching communication partners too. Like what exactly was so great about that? Um, you know, so I think that's one of the values of that too. As a matter of fact, they presented some research on that as well in their training. They just said, you know, there's some research that suggest if you give kind of um, just positive feedback, good job, oh, I like that, that it's not as uh, meaningful as giving that specific feedback. Like, okay, try going a little bit slower or tell me about how you felt about that experience that you just had. Uh, those kind of coaching words that you use, that, that mentality, the phrases that you use really make a difference. They really do. The other thing I like about the work that they do is it encourages self-discovery, I think, with communication partners. It's not like, here's what to do. I'm going to tell you what to do. You figure it out after I tell you what to do. It's more like, you know, what could have been different about that? Kind of knowing the framework of everything we've discussed, there's a lot of self-reflection involved, which is how we ultimately learn, right? And how we're ultimately empowered to learn. Okay, I saw this and here are the things that I maybe could have done different. Um, that's so much better than anybody ever telling you what you could have done different. Yes. Oh, so much so. Like that reflection at the end. Absolutely. You know, one of the other things that um, they, again, kind of solidified for me is in that S'mores acronym, the, the M-O for that is model, right? Which of course, if you listen to this podcast more than five minutes, you've heard us say the word model. And what they did is they kind of broke it down into two different ways of looking at modeling meaning that you could be describing what the student's doing. And so you're modeling on the device and you're describing that, uh, what you see the student doing. If you're modeling on the student's device, you might say, 
I put in because the student just put something in or I ate it because the student ate, ate something. And they called that parallel talk. And then self-talk would be another form of modeling where again, you're pressing on the student's device, but the self-talk is describing what you're doing. So I put in my mouth and I, as the, as the communication partner, puts the thing in their mouth or I color it and you pick up the crayon and you start coloring, you know, something like that is, is that there are two different types of descriptive teaching, this parallel talk and self-talk. And it was just, again, I do that naturally, but I'm not sure that I was coaching it explicitly to other people and breaking it down into those two different forms. And that kind of stuff, you know, just, it just brought it back to light for me. Yeah. And I think that's an important distinction that a lot of communication partners sometimes have challenges with, especially the idea that we can totally model without expectation of having a child say anything, right? Um, A lot of people, it's hard for them to wrap their heads around that because they're so used to requiring a response, having an outcome, you know, this outcome-based mentality of like, well, I said, put it in. So like, I want him to say it now, you know? And so I think that it's really important to teach we can just do self-talk. We can just give that language input. You know, we know AAC is a visual language and we need to give that visual input for students. Um, And so we would do it the same way that we would do it with a typically developing kid who was hearing language all day. You know, we're constantly doing self-talk with babies and toddlers. And so it's just really important that we do that for our AAC learners. You know who else is visual learners? The adults. So another little strategy they had, and this one, they had a little poster from Rachel that they gave away, the inspire, don't require, right? The idea was that you could put visuals up in the room. And I had done this before. Again, we had put large uh, core boards up in a room, but really the mnemonics, put those up in the room and little reminders like inspire, don't require. Have posters and put those up in your room as reminders for all the staff about what we're trying to do. Yeah, actually, what's funny is we're working on right now, um, my team is helping me build posters like that because I feel like I, I have right now, there's a school I go to, it's a school for complex communication needs. And I have that right in the middle of our bulletin board. Um, but I, I, I think it's important. Like these reminders are important. I love, you know, these kind of inspirational messages that you just kind of glance over and see. And then it like kind of gives you a, a breath of fresh air to, you know, remind you, okay, this is what I'm, I should be doing. And I tell clinicians this all the time. I need the reminders too. I'm not, you know, this person who just goes into every, you know, clinical situation and remembering all the things to do. It's something that I need to constantly be reminding myself of. Um, And there's no better way than just kind of catching a glance of an inspirational quote or inspirational message or an acronym that you should be, you know, striving to follow. So I'll keep you guys posted on when that's going to release because who knows when it's going to be, but hopefully it'll be soon. It'll definitely be before the school year starts. One of the things that I talk about in the new assistive tech, Make Learning Awesome for All, is this concept of the rule of 22, meaning you have to hear or see or experience something 22 times before you use it, uh, before you adopt it as your own. And I feel like putting those posters up in the wall are little drops in the bucket towards your number of 22, you know? You might like wrap your brain around it or maybe maybe even not, you know, well, okay, that's cool. It rhymes. I'm not really sure what it means, you know, but 22 times with the post drop in the wall or other people saying it, it really becomes just part of who you are and what you do. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm really excited, actually. So I have an article coming out in um, USAC's blogs, the Speak Up blog. Jill actually reached out to me and was like, would you write an article? So it's all about Inspire Don't Require and how it can really help transform your practice. And instead of requiring language from kids, like how can we actually shift the table, put the onus on us to then figure out ways that we can inspire. When people are inspired, they're, you know, they're excited. They're excited to communicate. Um, And so I'm really excited for that to come out. I think it'll be out in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. I can't wait to read it. I can't wait to share it. It sounds like it's going to be great. Now, I'm not that I'm required to read it. Well, I can't wait to read your article. Not that I'm required to, but you've inspired me to. (laughs) Well, I'm happy I could do that for you, Chris. So this week's episode, I'm really excited because we're airing the second part of the special apps update course that we did through Exceptional Ed. And so if you listen to this week's episode and you listen to last week's episode, you will then be able to go to exceptionaled.com and you'll be able to take the quiz and earn uh, a CEU, an hour-long CEU. So we're really passionate about bringing the podcast to professional development and you can listen to our podcast now and you can earn CEUs for that. So Chris, how can people find all of these CEU courses we're doing? Well, we've decided to make it easy for you listeners. We put everything in one place. If you go to bit.ly slash techceu, you can find hyperlinks to everything, including the CEUs that we've been talking about in the previous episodes and this episode. So once you're done with that, head over to the Facebook group and leave us a message about the experience. Let us know how it was. Did you enjoy listening to the podcast and then taking the the quiz and getting the CEUs? Let us know how that worked out for you. So without further ado, let's listen to the second half of the special apps update from 2018. Hi, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts of Speech Science, a weekly podcast bringing you all the information that you can handle related to speech sciences and disabilities. Michelle Wintering, Michael McLeod, and I interview leaders and difference makers in the field. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode. You can find us on iTunes, Android, and on our website, www.speechscience.org slash speech science podcast. Join us as we try to find the answers to the question, what is communication? Um, The next one is about the features that are essential for all AAC apps. So what would you feel um, are features that are essential for use with clients with special needs? Like, for example, guided access, accessibility, switch access, things like that. I think I'm going to take a stab. Um, Core words. And anybody who does stuff with AAC knows about the power of core words. We just did a podcast on it, and it was um, it was really good for beginners if you don't know a lot about core words. But we need to be able to support generative language. And I think a lot of times we get stuck early on with kids who are nonverbal and nouns. Um, I see a lot of teachers in, in classrooms, and they are stuck with just, like, He wants crackers and he likes the ball and the train. Um, But the problem with nouns is where do you go? Where do you go with nouns? How do you build sentences with only nouns? Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert, you can't. Um, You know, you need verbs and adjectives and all of these things that that's what core words support us with. So when you're looking at a device, um, you know, we really need to make sure that it has adequate access to core words. Chris? Yeah, so I would add that um, one of the features that I look at is, uh, 
it's, it's weird because you rephrase the question as features for apps, but really it's what do you need for successful communication and language? And so uh, aided language stimulation has been second one. Core words is the philosophy for where the words are and, and which words you choose. Uh, the next one would be, well, how do you teach somebody to use those words? Well, you have to model on the device. So uh, some of the features that I think are really, really cool and slick is if you can actually have two devices, you can be modeling on one and it actually appears on the other, or you know, where some people will use a laser pointer or you could actually just touch the other person's device, but the technology might have solutions there that are continuing. And that is not something universal with all the apps yet. Uh, that is a big component. And then the other thing that I think would be uh, so awesome to have, and some have them and not all do, is the data collection component in the background. So that you could take the, the data of what this person's actually saying and, um, and analyze it and uh, have nice graphs and charts or take that data and look at it and make some clinical decisions about it without having to do the heavy leg work that the speech therapists know all and well of figuring out the MLU and taking a language sample and analyzing it. All of that saying, with either parent permission or student permission, because you're collecting, I don't want someone writing down everything I say, <laughs> you know, every minute. So as long as people are cool with it. Well, you guys have hit on some great stuff. I mean, the... Um you know, it's tough. And I, Chris, you totally just hit on it, but especially coming out of the development background, when I think of essential features, it, it almost becomes this like shopping list for me where I'm like, this is like the idealized form, right? And reality is, and to any, any developers watching, no offense, but you know, every system is sort of uniquely flawed, right? There isn't like a single one that's, that's perfect for, for every situation. You know, I'm really glad to see people incorporating more data collection. I think that's that's something that's absolutely invaluable to the you know sort of ongoing assessment process because assessment never ends, right? Always have to be thinking about the decisions you've made. Um, uh, so that's huge. Um, obviously, aided language stimulation is part of the sort of broader circle of support around the app and the student. And then core words on our podcast, we actually did a, we recently did a whole hour on core words specifically. And now I see, I see so many apps talk about how they have a core word program that I almost want an app to advertise that they don't. Like that, it, it, like a Mad Libs style thing. Like you don't get the 300 most frequent word. I'm joking, obviously, but um, that's something that I think is, you know, obviously like really critical to anything that we would call like a robust communication device. And robust being something that really, you know, has these essential features, but also is able to to sort of grow with the student over time. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw one more in there, Lucas. And yeah. Yeah, that is, um, I think it's becoming more and more essential uh, to consider where the, where the icons are located, where the vocabulary is located, and keeping that relatively consistent. So um, I think motor planning, motor access, all of that either for rate enhancement um, or just for learning where things are in the first place. I think that there's research to support it, and the more apps are moving in that direction where we, we don't just move things all over the place because it makes it harder to refine where everything is. It'd be like switching the, the S and Q on my keyboard you'd be so angry at me if I did that to you, you know, because you keep switching things up. I have one more to add. <laughs> um, keyboard with word prediction in an ideal world. Um, just because we want to be able to give children and adults the tools to create whatever they want to create. And whenever um, I'm presenting, I give an example of this little boy that I work with who is obsessed with pipe cleaners and he makes pipe cleaner people and he names them the most obscure, nonsensical names like Sige and Biff and all of these weird names. And if he didn't have a keyboard, he would never be able to do that. Um, every time I, I see him, he has a new pipe cleaner person with a new name and 
And, you know, it just reminds me that having a keyboard is very, very important, um, you know, not only from a literacy perspective, but also, you know, we can't possibly program every single word that a child uh, or adult might need to say. So I think that's another thing that is essential, in my opinion. Thank you, Rachel. I love that. And it reminds us that we are working with individuals. Mm -hmm. Yes. Can I, can I throw in one more or are we ready to? <laughs> okay, one more and then you're done. Okay, I was just going to say, in the absence of universal design, which is what we really want to get to, then at least being up to spec with the current standards of the OS. So like being able to support switches on an iPad, those sorts of things that already are built into the operating system. And on that note, just pragmatically, I do look into the companies and make sure that I feel like they're going to be around in two years, you know, um, because sometimes they do pop up and go away. And that's a bummer um, when you set someone up with a language system and then it's not, you know, updated. Good points. Okay. Um, so this one is also a really big question. You know, what are the best practice for uh, integrating the AAC apps into your practice? And I know, Rachel, you just did a beautiful job with your 10 cardinal rules on the podcast. So I'm putting a little um, plug in for that. But I would love to get um, a few points here of what are the best ways to sit with someone, work with them with AAC apps specifically? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the biggest one is the device needs to be everywhere all the time and be used all the time, which is easier said than done. But I think that we really need to support the training of caregivers. I think that's the single most important thing that we can do. Um, you know, it feels like a lot of our energy goes into the assessment process, but not as much sometimes is spent at the implementation level. And we really need to be using these devices and be showing kids through aided language stimulation how to use these devices. Um, you know, and so I talk a lot uh, about caregiver training because it's so important. You know, finding things that are really motivating to, you know, a specific parent. I give an example of I started with a little girl and mom was so dead set on having her say hello and goodbye to everybody she met. She had no functional language, but mom was like, she needs to say hi. She needs to say bye. So that's where I started. And it's not where I wanted to start. It wasn't the best place I felt like for starting because I wanted her to get her needs met. But, you know, sure enough, after she started saying hello and goodbye, mom was thrilled. And, you know, now mom trusts me. And now mom is willing to, you know, kind of put the time and effort in because she sees a success in an area where she was really motivated to see, you know, her child learn and grow. So I think it's really important when you're working with caregivers to find something that's really motivating to them and really meaningful to them as a way to inspire them and empower them because it's, it's a lot of work. You know, aided language stimulation is work, uh, but it's the only way that kids will learn their systems. So that's the biggest one for me. I mean, there's a ton. There's a ton of things. We could have like, you know, two more hours on best practices, but that's the biggest one. Uh, for me, I'm going to jump in and say, I agree. It's totally spending time. Everyone thinks it's about selecting the right device. And really it's working with the people who are going to be using that device. But what I found uh, is often when I'm working with caregivers and working with uh, teachers and, and paraprofessionals that are working with the students is I want to jump in with the language. I want to jump in and start teaching them how to use the device and the technical aspects of the device and, and teaching them, here's how you do the modeling. But so often it's getting them in the right frame of mind. And that's that presuming competence. We've mentioned it now a couple of times that, that the whole point of all of this is to help someone become uh, someone who generates language and can communicate anything they want to say, whenever they want to say it, however they want to say it. 
And so often that perception is missing in people. They don't realize that's sort of the end game. And so uh, I've started to really spend more time hitting like, let's not restrict people. Let's, uh, let, there's, there's a whole article out there and people have referenced it in the, and written uh, expounded on it called the least dangerous assumption. So let's start with these least dangerous assumption with, with, with somebody and not assume that they can't learn it or that uh, they, they're, they're getting all their needs met so that they're, they're, they're totally satisfied and happy. Let's assume that if we gave them the right tools with enough time and the right teaching that they could get to that end goal of saying whatever they want to say. You guys took a bunch of the good ones here. What do I, <laughs> what do I say? There, so I, I see uh, Kristen Powell wrote in the chat here an ASC implementation plan. I want to add that to you. Have a plan, you know, just have a plan that it's more than just that snapshot of that moment, right? That we're talking about setting someone up for communication for the next, you know, potentially five or more years of their life, depending on, you know, insurance model or whatever else. Um, it's a whole other conversation, but uh, you know, having a strategy for intervention is great. I mean, hopefully everyone here would, would know that by now, but um, it has to be said. Model, 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 model. I mean, that's, that's the, you know, the big predictors that we know from research are training of circle of support and, and modeling, Italy, English, those two things. Um, but you know, to find that sort of like zone of proximal development, right? To find that next step of the communicative profile of the child and then facilitate that. Um, I mean, that's, that's how you'll see you know, consistent growth. And like Rachel said, though, there's, there's a lot of this. If you, if you have more thoughts, I see people are putting some great questions in there. And so we're going to try to get as, as many of those as possible after this. But um, also do feel free to contact us. And I know we'll, we'll talk about it at the end. I have one more to add. Is that okay? <laughs> um, I think that it's often overlooked is operational competence. So, you know, we kind of give these kids these devices, but we don't infuse in our teaching how to take care of the device, how to plug it in when it's about to die, and how to turn the volume up if nobody can hear it. I can't tell you how many kids I have who are using voice output systems and they're hitting buttons and it's not, the, the, the volume's not on. So I can't hear it. So I'm like, huh, what? So I'm doing like really, you know, exaggerated facial expressions and, you know, gestural cues. But, you know, we really need to make sure that we're teaching kids how to take care of these devices, you know, and I think that that's something that will support them long-term um, in self-advocacy. Excellent. Are we ready to go to the next? I don't want to. Uh, yes. Okay. Um, so the last question is, again, controversial. What would you say are apps that you would recommend to include in a comprehensive AAC evaluation? Um, I know we all have so many apps available, but, you know, if we had these are the three, these are the five, what would you say? I have some windows open here, so as you mentioned them, I'm going to be showing them. <laughs> everybody, everybody pauses and thinks, hmm. <laughs> well, because you're right, mainly. I mean, there are, there are so many of them, right? And, and we're at a point now where we, we do have a, a lot of systems that I would consider to be pretty robust. So it can be hard to decide. And um, I, I guess what I would say about that is that it, it is on you as a clinician in many ways, and it, it stinks, I know, because nobody has any time, but it is on you to, to educate yourself or to reach out to some of these companies, take a webinar, I mean, you're already here doing this, I mean, that's great, you know, to, to find out these things, because what I, what I don't want to see happen, which I do see happen, is, you know, a, a school or, or an area will end up being, you know, pretty much just serving one app to everyone, right, because that's what they're familiar with, and there isn't really a one-size-fits-all fits all approach, but you know, to, to think just off the top of my head, some of the, some of the big ones that we know are, are created by companies that are currently big and robust and, and doing development, uh, ProLocal to Go already came up. So that's certainly one. Um, we, we talked about this a little bit ahead of time. And, and so we, we also had uh, thought of LAMP, for example. 
again, language acquisition uh, by motor planning. Um, Toby Dynavox uh, makes a, an app called Compass, and as well as a new one called Snapless Core, um, which are, are for very different audiences, but I think are both uh, you know fantastic in the right setting. Um, I guess I'll be the one to mention Avaz because it's, it's on me. So um, you know the. Avaz is a, is a hierarchical language system, you know, in some ways similar to like a touch chat or a Perlo. Um, one big difference is that there's a lot of parent training embedded and there's, we have, I think, 17 languages. So that's pretty cool. There, there's a bunch more. Who wants to jump in? You mentioned a lot of them. I think that when you're figuring out what apps to trial, I mean, there's so many things that go into it. Like it's a clinical decision. So, um, you know, one thing I look at is, you know, does this child have issues with motor planning? And if they do, then I'm more inclined to pick a system like LAMP or Speak for Yourself that really, really drives home the motor planning issue or the motor planning piece. Um, with that being said, I feel like all these apps are coming out with updates that support motor planning. So like Proloquo now has progressive language, which supports motor planning. So, um, and a lot of them can be programmed to support the motor planning piece. So um, I'm trying to think of, you know, Android for Android users, CoughDrop is a really great um, Android app. Actually, an another great feature of CoughDrop is for um, they connect with Google Translate. I found this out when I was um, doing a training in Cambodia and they were like, we don't have any AAC systems here. Uh, we barely have speech therapy. So um, it's nice because CoughDrop will connect with any language through Google Translate. So if you have a user that has kind of an obscure language, um, you can't find an app to support, uh, CoughDrop is a really good example. And the cost is nice too. Yes. So I'm going to flip the question a little bit because the way the question is asked make it, makes it sound like the way you should do an AAC evaluation is you bring in your iPad with uh, nine different apps on them and try them all. And uh, I think that is not necessarily the best way to approach an AAC evaluation. I think maybe the better way to approach an AAC evaluation is to um, observe the student and maybe try to see what they can target, but then really again, meet with a team and say, what does this student need? And so picture it, if you would, uh, a chart, uh, even a table um, that has uh, the first column of the table is a list of everything the student needs. And then along the top uh, in the different columns next to that would be the different apps that might meet those needs. And then you fill out the chart and you see which app meets most of those needs. And uh, in all of those cases, uh, I think what happens many times is that people find just what Rachel was saying, like, well, three of these hit all of those things the student needs. So now what do we do? How <laughs> do we pick which one out of the of all these apps? Because they're all robust and they could all work to help the students. So in that case, I think two factors uh, are considered. One is you got to ask yourself the question, what is going to be the least restrictive option for the student? When you're looking at the, the different options in, the, in your chart, which one of all of those, with all the different factors, restricts the student the least? And one of those factors might be, this goes to the point Lucas made, what do the other people in the environment know? Which doesn't necessarily mean that makes it the best app, but it might be the best app for the student under the circumstances. Because if everyone in the school district seems to know um, Lamp Words for Life or seems to know uh, cough drop, then that is something to consider because if, if the speech therapist decides to leave and next year they get a new speech therapist, well, 
what happens is the whole thing crashed because the speech therapist really knew Proloquo and they thought it was the best app for the student and no one else ever bought into it. So by making it a team approach that's making the decision, everyone has ownership. And by using something that people are familiar with, that might be a huge consideration in what's best for the student. So I just don't want people to walk away going, well, I got to know every single app that's on the market. I'm going to try them all. Plus, I have some concerns just with the idea of trialing in the first place, because uh, if I try ProLoquo first, and we're saying, we've said over the last hour that motor planning seems to be a consideration that we should be looking at even more closely. If I try ProLoquo first, how long do I try it for? Two weeks? Three weeks? Am I modeling all that time? And then how did I make that decision? Do I just take it away and then give another app for a while? And wouldn't the student do better on the first app because I've been teaching it for three weeks? It'd be, uh, it'd be like asking me to learn Spanish for three weeks and then uh, giving me French for another three weeks and saying, which one do you do better on? Well, I'm going to do better on Spanish because I already practiced that first. So uh, I think there's more considerations there that traditionally we haven't looked at, but, but the more we ask these questions, the better we all become at kind of figuring it out. Absolutely. Thank you. And I like how you said put that on its head because I think that when we are talking to our school districts and we want to put together an evaluation team, you know, they want to know what apps do you need. And it's a, it's a whole different way of thinking about it. I can see you thinking, Luke. Oh, I, I just, I'm, there's some really great comments going on in the chat here. And um, I, I, so we'll address what we can. But, you know, one thing that, that comes to me too is just um, student preference. I mean, some, I've had students just pick up an app and just like it right away, you know. And sometimes I don't even know the reason really, you know. It's like, okay, sure. But I'm strengths based in my practice. So, I mean, if that's what the child's gravitating towards, then I'll, I'll go for it. And, you know, I'm referring to pediatric, right? So geriatrics is a whole other piece we're not really addressing. I, that actually was going to, you took the words right out of my mouth, Lucas. Yes. I, I, I often try to, I'll ask kids, like, which one, you know, I'll do a preference assessment after we do some, some trials. And, you know, sometimes kids don't respond, um, depending on their skill level, but I've had, you know, some kids that they will tell me, I'm like, which one did you like better? This one or this one? And they'll, you know, either point or like Lucas said, you know, they'll gravitate towards one. So I think that, you know, we need to remember to kind of include the actual child in this decision and um, if it's possible. Oh, let me throw in one other thing. Oftentimes, AAC evaluations aren't just at the initial stage, meaning we've been talking about it like as it's the first time someone's ever seen an app. But what happens, uh, I think, pretty frequently is three years in, a student may have plateaued for some reason. And so now we're doing a second AT or AAC assessment to, to try and figure it out. And in those cases, I often wonder, shouldn't we be sticking it out longer with whatever the first assess, uh, app was? Because it takes so darn long to learn. I often equate it to like, it's not a marathon, it's an ultra marathon, 50 marathons, you know? That's how long it takes for, for students to, um, to continue to see growth because it, it's grow and plateau and grow and plateau and grow and plateau. So, so stick with it before you just kind of change, change things up on students. I think that should be a big consideration of Fantastic. Okay, so we have about five minutes left. I'm going to answer the, I'm going to ask the four questions that are actually in the Q&A, and then we will sum up the course, and then we'll go to the chat questions, Luke. And then also to let you know that we will be um, downloading the chat and uploading it back into the course, so you should be able to see a copy of all of that that's been going on on the, on the side there. They were asking for a link to the chat. I'm actually going to put that screen back up. And then also, um, we are going to be uploading the final um, versions of this so you will be able to um, print it out again if you want to do that or you'll be able to, to just see it you know on the pdf okay uh, this one's for chris 
from Joan, and it says, you mentioned a team making decisions about devices. Who should be on the team? It's a great question. Well, okay, let's go. Uh, speech language pathologist, any related service staff that's working with the, with the student, the student if possible, and then, I don't know, maybe the parent might be a good person to have on that, that committee, and maybe an administrator. So I, I should, I'm, I'm saying maybe, but those are the people that should be there. And of course, the case manager or the teacher, uh, those would be all the people that you'd want to have there, and then anyone else that's interested. Great. Yeah, okay, OT, ATP if, if necessary, right, depending on access, but sure, yeah, good. Okay, another good question. Um, for language representation, what part does cognitive ability factor in with the use of devices to communicate? So cognitive and physical. I, I can jump in on that. Ha <laughs> ha, cut you off. <laughs> just based on, I just want to pair it with what Chris said earlier. I really like the, um, you know, it, we got to think about the presumption of competence, right? So I've been in totally that situation so many times where I've been like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what the level of cognitive complexity that's appropriate here. Or, or I mean, you could replace cognitive complexity with anything. It could be vision impairment. It could be whatever. And what I always do is try to start a couple ticks above what my gut says, right? And then work back down, right, as necessary, or work up, you know? Um, but I have been fooled by my gut on cognitive complexity way too many times for me to get burned again. I'm just, I'm just gonna always presume. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, along with that, if you believe children are capable, they rise to the challenge. So, you know, if you believe that they can't do it, then they'll never do it because they never have the opportunity. So I think we just really need to start from a place of, you know, presuming that they can and giving them systems that will support them. Um, because like Lucas mentioned, I've just been blown away so many times and it's like no no more no more will i like you know have to feel this like sense of guilt for not assuming that a child was capable or not you know speaking up during a team meeting when i felt like you know we were giving a system that might not have been you know as uh robust as i think it should have been um i just think we really that's that's our role is to inspire people to believe that it's possible if you're going to fail, fail swinging for the stars, right? Don't mm -hmm. fail because you cut someone short. Right? I've heard this before. It's, it's this simple like, well, that system's way too complicated for a student. What? How do you know that? Right? Where are you coming up with that sort of evidence or data? Just because you can do it. Yeah, and when a lot of the preconceptions that people might come to the table with are maybe false, right? So we talk a lot about, like on the podcast even, about, you know, one disadvantage that often clinicians have is that we don't have access to, like, the naturalistic environment of the home or whatever it might be, you know, or a school clinician I'm thinking of specifically. Um, but one thing we do have access to, which maybe they don't at home, is communicative temptation, right? Because we're not mind readers the way their parents might be. And so we get to see them fresh and in an environment where they probably really want to say something to us, you know? Fantastic. Okay, um, so that is the end of this course. Um, we want to thank you for joining us for the Special Apps Update 2018 conference. Was, this conference is sponsored by Smarty Ears, and this course was sponsored by the Center for AAC and Autism. Um, again, please come and talk to us uh, more about this in the forum. So if you go to Exceptional Ed and go into your profile, there'll be a forum there where you can continue the conversation. And thank you for joining us tonight. You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.